Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3. By the way, if any of you were interested in getting some of those booklets that you didn't get last week, if you didn't get them and you are interested in, in getting some more, uh, they'll be back out next, next weekend. Uh, we, we went ahead and, and modernized our, our approach. I, I, I'm kind of an old school guy, so, you know, buy these for this much. And, but inventory-wise and everything else going the way it is, uh, we had to digitize, so... Uh, but everything is getting set up, and it'll be ready for next week. So if you have any questions about that, uh, just be patient. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Our focus this morning will be on the peace of God and the word of Christ. Rather than give a running review, as I always do, to remind us of where we've been and where we're going, Paul, of course, has written this letter uh, to focus the church's attention upon the superiority of Jesus Christ, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, and the sufficiency of Christ. That Christ is all and in all. And uh, the first two chapters, plus a little bit of the third chapter, had to do with the doctrinal aspects of Christ being not only the Son of God, but God the Son. And then also uh, entering into the next section of chapter 3, into the more practical session or section, this is what we are dealing with now. How we are to live our faith in Jesus Christ. And the focus has been upon putting on the wardrobe of Christ, putting on the things that reflect the character of Jesus Christ in our lives. Paul, back in verse 12, said, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, put on agape, put on love. We call that the overcoat of the wardrobe. And that love is the bond of perfectness. And that fits very well with what we are now being told by Paul in verses 15 through 17. When he says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And so in this time and season of remembering the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that is, God taking upon himself flesh. It is appropriate to focus our attention then upon a, a new life. When a new life enters the world, a new heart enters the world. There is no life apart from a heart. A new life necessitates a new heart. So it is with a believer in Jesus Christ. The, the believer receives a new heart when he or she receives a new life. And so the heart of the new life is the great subject of this passage that we're examining today. If you will, a, a subtitle, The Heart of a New Life. Before we get into the meat of this section, though, it is significant to note that this is a very personal message being given by the Apostle to the Colossian church. And of course, not only to them, but to all of the, the church that reads this letter as something that has been inspired by the Spirit of God. It's a personal message. 
A half a dozen times, as, as we just read in those three verses, a half, half a dozen times we have the personal pronouns, your, ye, and you. He wanted to make it clear that we as believers in Jesus Christ need to always know and examine that we have a new life in Christ. That our heart is not our own, it belongs to him. That our life is not our own, it belongs to Jesus. From top to bottom, beginning to end. And so our church life, when it comes down to it, our church life depends very much on each and every one of us. A local church such as ours is simply a collection of believers. Each one born from above. Remember that. You are born from above if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So each one born from above, each one indwelt by the Holy Spirit, each one of us added to the body of Christ, each one of us gathered out of the world, each one of us seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, and whether we realize it or not, each one related to all the others in the body of Christ. And I said, whether we realize it or not, or whether we like it or not, <laughs> each one of us is related to others in the body of Christ. And some congregations now, some congregations may be carnal. They may be worldly. They may be quarrelsome and selfish and critical and unforgiving. Although there could be different kinds of believers among them. A little more sanctified maybe. But they will always usually reflect the lack of true biblical spirituality among its members. Conversely, other congregations are comprised of members who are godly and consecrated and self-sacrificing, loving, praying, soul-winning, and, and even missionary-minded. And, and while there may be some carnal believers among them, this church as a whole will radiate Jesus Christ. And as a whole, that is how we are to be. As a whole, we are to radiate the love of Jesus Christ. We are to radiate the life of Christ. And certainly one way that we radiate the love and the light and the glory of Christ is by wearing the wardrobe of Christ at all times. So Paul would ask ourselves, or would have us ask ourselves this, quest this question based on our previous studies. The question is, am I wearing my new clothes to church? Am I wearing my new clothes to church? Have we come today as God's elect, holy and beloved, wearing mercies and kindness, meekness and long-suffering? Are we wearing forbearance and forgiveness? And especially, are we wearing the top coat of agape, the top coat called love? Or as we find it in our text, charity. I think that word charity is very special and very precious. Because if you truly understand what it means to be charitable, not according to, you know, the IRS or anything like that. But listen, when you consider charity, it truly is giving without expecting anything in return. That's the love of God. If we are then wearing the wardrobe of Christ, then we can be as wonderfully dressed as Paul himself always was. He realized that the best way to encourage other believers to use their new spiritual wardrobe was to make full use of his. And this is the reason why Paul many times would say, follow me as I follow Christ. Because he was wearing that wardrobe at all times. The mercies and the kindness and the love and the, and the long-suffering and the meekness of Christ. When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 about charity in verses 4 through 8, 
saying that charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. There could be no other intention in his heart but to say this is what you must wear over and above everything that you wear of Christ in your life. But all of that is to cover and to protect the heart of the new life of a believer. And to begin, the believer then is to have that heart that is ruled by God's peace. The believer is to have a heart that is ruled by God's peace. And so Paul says in verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Now, there is some debate as to whether the peace of God should actually be written as the peace of Christ, as some newer translations publish it. It is certainly understood that Christ Jesus is indeed the peace of God, having been established as a prophetic promise to us. In fact, it is a prophetic promise, a prophetic promise to us given in a text that is used often in this time and season. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It is pointing directly to the Messiah of Israel. It is pointing to Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the peace of God himself. And notice, if you will, the context goes on in verse 7 and says of the increase of his government and peace. That is pointing back directly to the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Yeshua, Jesus, is the Prince of Peace. He is the peace of God. Now Paul himself would encourage the Philippian church with these words. He would say to them, Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4 verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. In other words, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, who is who? The Prince of Peace, who is the peace of God. And that peace, through Jesus Christ, dispels every anxious care of the believer. Peace was Jesus' legacy to his own disciples before he left them, which means also that his peace is our legacy as well. Consider his words in John 14, verse 27. To his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, he said to them, Peace, I leave with you my peace, I give unto you. Now stop there for just a moment. We're going to read the whole thing here, but, but just stop there. Peace, I leave you my peace, I give unto you. These are very familiar words in the modern vernacular when you consider 
will and testament. People who have something to leave to their family will oftentimes write a, a, a will, or as they call it, a will and a testament. And there's a lot of family that, you know, they look at some of their older family that's, a, that's, that's pretty wealthy or whatever, and they just kind of look at them and they say, you know, they're getting old, you know, I wonder if they left, they're leaving me every, anything. And then the family member passes away, and then there's a meeting that's called together, and everybody says, okay, we're going to go read the, the, the last will and testament. And nephew Joey sits down, and he kind of waits because he's thinking he's going to get something. And finally they get to his name, and they said, to my nephew Joey, I leave a pair of shoes. Wasn't much. But that's the idea behind these words. Sometimes we expect more than what we think is going to happen. And in the world, let's face it, there may be a lot of promises given. I'm going to leave this to you and that to you, and it never happens. That, that happens more often than we want to admit. But I'm bringing this up for this one reason. When Jesus tells, he, tells us that he's leaving us something and he's giving us something, you can count on it. And what he leaves us is his peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world give, giveth, give I unto you. See, that, that's what he's saying. It, you know, the world will promise all kinds of stuff. But what I promise I give to you. My peace I leave unto you. Or I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. As the Prince of Peace, Jesus brought it into flesh. He brought peace into flesh. He carried it about in his own person. He said, my peace, I leave with you. And consider this. Jesus died to make it ours. Jesus died to make his peace our peace. He left it. And he gave it to all his disciples. Also he is the peace. Between Jew and Gentile. Now brothers and sisters in Christ. As explained to us in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 14 through 18. What does Paul say? For he, Jesus, is our peace. Who hath, broke, who hath made both one. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition. Between us. The us is the Jew and the Gentile. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity or the, the hostility. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. He's made us one. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. Having slain the enmity or the hostility thereby and came and preached peace. To you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. The far off being the Gentile, the, those who were nigh or near, the Jewish people. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now the word peace in the Greek is the word eirene. means to be bound. It means to be joined and weaved together. It's a beautiful word. That's peace. To be bound and to be joined and weaved together. The contrast to that, of course, is something like war. Because war does not bind and join and weave together in a beautiful picture or a beautiful tapestry or whatever. What war does is it rips apart. It tears apart. So, peace means to be assured, to be confident and secure in the love and the care of God. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're not alone. 
We have a lot of brothers and sisters around us. We are to be woven together in the love of Jesus Christ. And in that weaving together, we are brought to peace in Jesus Christ. It means to know that God will take care of us no matter the problem or circumstance. It means to be absolutely assured that the Lord will allow nothing to overwhelm us or defeat us. I don't know about you, but many times I think that we are being overwhelmed by so much evil and wickedness in this world. Yet Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It means that he will strengthen us. His peace will encourage and guide us. It will sustain and deliver us and save and provide for us. And it will give real life to all of his children, both now and forever. But take note that this peace is the peace of Christ. And certainly he alone possesses it. And therefore a person can experience true peace only as he comes to know Christ. For once again he said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto thee. My peace. Only Jesus Christ can bring real peace to the human heart. The kind of peace that brings deliverance and assurance of deliverance to the human soul. You know, there are three significant things pointed out about the peace of Christ. First of all, the choice really is up to the believer. The believer does not automatically experience the peace of Christ. He should, but he may not. But just remember that this is a command, which means it demands obedience. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That is not a suggestion, it is a command. And commands mean that it demands obedience. Now the word rule in the Greek means to be or act as an umpire. Peace is to be the umpire. Peace is to be the deciding factor in all situations, in every circumstance, in every situation of life. Peace is to prevail. It is to govern within the believer's heart. But the believer is to make the choice. The decision is his whether he lets the peace of God rule or not. The word of God commands it, but the believer has to be willing to let the umpire of peace rule. I, I want to give you a, a very personal experience to maybe understand that. And I don't think I understood it as well until I came to realize what this peace means. But many, many years ago, while I was a band director for the El Paso Public Schools at Irvin High School, I was already a worship leader for uh, Calvary Chapel of Las Cruces and, and helping Pastor Bob there uh, with, his, with his ministry. And, and he was coming down here and helping us begin a work which now has become this, this church. Uh, but I was satisfied being a, you know, a teacher and, and a band director and, and being a worship leader and I could, I could handle that. I, I wanted to do that a few more years. I thought, well, Lord, you know, I just let me kind of do that. But there came a time where Bob had asked me to pray to take over what was happening here in El Paso to begin the church here in El Paso. So with that thought in mind, I began to pray and ask the Lord. But in, in, ask, in so asking, I, I was also saying, but you know, Lord, give me a couple more years. I, I really love what I'm doing, you know, as far as uh, my, I, I mean, I had prayed to become a 
band director, and the Lord gave me that opportunity. But in the last year of teaching, through most of that year, though it was a good year for me, educationally speaking, I had no peace in my heart. I had plans to either uh, resign from the high school level, go and teach a couple more years in the grade school level, which I always loved grade school kids and starting band programs that way. But there was no peace. I had no peace in my heart. We prayed. We prayed. And prayed. And the peace only came when I realized that it was the Lord that wanted me to do what I am doing today and I've been doing now for 35 years. And I signed a letter of resignation. Handed it one to my principal and another to the school system. And on the last day of school, I realize now my heart and everything belong to Jesus. And folks, in 35 years, I haven't regretted a single day. Because God, through the ups and the downs, the trials and the tribulations and circumstances, he is Lord and will always be. But that's the example of peace. I had no peace. As long as I kept thinking, I'm going to go a little bit longer, in a little bit longer. And he said, think what you will, but the day will come. And then the peace came. So now the peace is safe. The empire ruled peace. And I obeyed. Consider these passages. Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now think about that verse for a moment. Great peace have they which love thy law. If you love the law, you love the law enough to do what? To live it. To obey it. To follow it. And remember that in Psalm 119, there are many, many different words that are used for the understanding of God's word. So if you love God's word, it's the law, it's commandments, it's statutes, and, and, and just a, a number of other, uh, other words used. But if, if you love the law, you do it. And so nothing shall offend, nothing shall be brought to an offense in your life, no matter what you have to face. Because great peace have they which love thy law. And if you love the law, you're doing the word. Take, for example, Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. It's one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture here. For it says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace. This is a prayer to the Lord. Thou, Lord, will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, whose mind is stayed and latched upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And then consider Isaiah 48, verse 18. A verse given now after the children of Israel are are going to be released to go back to the promised land or back to uh, Jerusalem, back to the city, back to the land. After 70 years, because they had to go into captivity because of their own sin and rebelliousness and disobedience. And what is it that God says to them in verse 18 of Isaiah 48? Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments. If you just listened to my commandments, then had thy peace been as a river. Peace would have been flowing for you and righteousness as the waves of the sea. The reason why believers are called to let the peace of Christ rule is clearly then stated back in our text. Let's go back to verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body. 
We are called to be in one body. Not two bodies, one body. We are to act as one. We are to live and behave as one body, as a body of people in union with each other. How, you might ask? <laughs> by letting the peace of God and Christ rule in our hearts by faith, by simple trust. Peace is always to be the deciding factor. And we do very much need to be careful about what we consider to be God's peace or not. As I mentioned in my, my own personal testimony here, it took a lot of prayer. Not just saying, well, I, I think this is, or I think that. It's not what you think, it's what God is saying. That's why peace has to be that deciding factor. Psalm 34, verse 14. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That is something that we need to be seeking. We can seek it in every aspect of our life. To be at peace with what God has in store for us. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not in the next month or two. Besides, we don't know what tomorrow has to offer. We can at best speculate. Or we can plan. But still God's will is going to be eventually done, right? He's not waiting for us to tell him what to do. He's already seen the beginning from the end. Peter actually quotes Psalm 34 verse 14 when he says in, in 1 Peter 3 11, Let him eschew or avoid evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Seek it. Paul in Romans 8 verse 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I mean, these are all, these are all dividing lines here that, that Paul is drawing, that Peter's drawing, that you know, the apostles and, and the prophets drew for us about the peace of God. To know what it is that God would have us to do. But it isn't to do so or to believe something on a whim. It is to know with certainty in the heart that God has established something for us either to do or not to do and we will be at peace with his choice, with his act, with his consideration. And then we as believers are to respond to the demand for peace with, thanks, with thankfulness, with thanksgiving. We should always thank the Lord Jesus Christ for his peace. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Giving thanks. Now, this is interesting. I've, I've chosen this particular passage here to mention something to you. That if you look at the verse right before, it won't be up here behind me, but it's in your text if you, if you turn to Ephesians 5, and you look at, uh, at verses 18 and 19, it says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Then it goes on to say, giving thanks always for all things. If you've been paying attention to our studies in Colossians, you realize that much of what we read in Colossians is also given to the, to, to the Ephesian church in the, in the letter to the Ephesians. And that's the, this is what's, what's taking us into the next verse in Colossians chapter 3, which is verse 16. Because not only are we to heart, have a heart filled with the peace of God, but we need to have a heart that is rich with the word of Christ. We need to have a heart that is filled with the word of Christ and rich with the word of Christ. Look at Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You see the connection there with Ephesians chapter 5? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing 
with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Throughout Scripture, this is the only time that the Word of God is referred to as the Word of Christ. But Paul's emphasis in his letter to the Colossians has been Christ. It has always been Christ. As we said, the superiority of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. And therefore the word of God becomes the word of Christ. And not to mention then what uh, Paul, or I should say what John himself writes at the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is even of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That is the word of God. That is the word of Christ because Christ is the word. Paul is therefore linking the peace of Christ with the word of Christ. And that word is to dwell in us. In other words, it is to inhabit us. And it is to take up its abode in our hearts. And not just, you know, this is not a temporary abode. It is supposed to be the permanent place for the word of God in our hearts. That is the strength of the word to dwell or to abide. An abode is not, uh, you know, a rental. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not a tent. It's, 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 it's a solid place where God will rest in us. His word. The word of Christ is found within the covers of the Holy Scriptures, which we have with us. The Gnostics were, you know, the, 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 the Gnostics were advocating philosophy along with a lot of other things. The Apostle Paul was advocating the word of Christ. That is it. He was advocating the word of Jesus Christ. And the word of Christ dwelling in our hearts becomes a vast treasury of wisdom upon which the Holy Spirit can draw as he guides us through the varying circumstance of this life. We can go back to chapter 2 of, of Colossians and remember what Paul reminded us of in, in verses 2 and 3 of Colossians 2. It says that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, notice, to the, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is in Christ and in the word of Christ that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge can be found. We have all kinds of ways to get the word of Christ where it belongs. It belongs in our hearts. Not just on the pages of a book or on your phones or iPads. It needs to be in our hearts. It does come through our senses, our visual and audible, audio senses. Hear, see, but it comes and should come into our hearts. We can memorize it. If you're going to memorize scripture, you need to use the King James Version. I'm, you know, that's not commentary. That's, that's telling you, you know, find one good translation. And that's, as far as I'm concerned, what we need to do. Because you can go and look at all kinds of different ones, and they're all a little bit different here and there. Stay with one that we can trust. We can memorize it. We can meditate upon it daily in our quiet time. We can study it using all available aids and helps. We can quote it in conversation. We can reinforce its hold upon our hearts. We can live by it. Hey, that's a good thing. We can live by it. It will fill our minds. It will control our lives. It will become our constant companion. It will be our counselor and it will be our guide. Now, if the systematic input 
of the word of Christ into our lives will result in the systematic output of the word from our lives, then Paul says that this will be expressed in two ways. Let's look back at verse 16 again and notice the second part of the verse. It says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. But uh, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Because first it will be through teaching and admonishing. This has to do with our public life within the church. We will constantly minister God's word to others in a helpful way. We're to help others to understand the scriptures and to apply its truths to their hearts. We will reveal its treasures, resolve its mysteries, relate its principles to life. We will rebuke error and confront moral and spiritual issues in church and in society. But listen, if we are all doing this, we can do these things humbly, but we can do them effectively for those that are in need of that wisdom and grace. But to do it as one that is spiritual, always realizing that we may need the counsel ourselves one day. So we have to do it humbly and in meekness. A good example of admonishment, and and by the way, to admonish means to caution, it means to reprove and to warn. Now there's another word, there's the word uh, exhortation. The word exhortation uh, has in it mostly, uh, how it's used in context, but mostly the word exhortation is an encouragement. But it's an encouragement with a warning. But admonishment is, is more than just a warning. It is a caution. It, it is a, a graver ca- caution, a reproving and a warning. A good example would be found in Acts chapter 20, where Paul is meeting with the uh, elders of uh, the church of Ephesus in a little town called Miletus. And he's meeting with them there to let them know what his plan now was as far as following after God's own heart to go back to Jerusalem or to go to Jerusalem. But in verses 29 to 31, Paul tells them this. He says, for I know this, that after my departing, Shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock? Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch. Notice what he says. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. That was admonishment. Not just to the Ephesian elders, but he was reminding them, I have warned each and every person in this particular church and in these churches every night and day with tears. That is the seriousness of the admonishment that we need to take when we hear the word of God even today. And this is something that, you know, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the word of God. And I'm not ashamed of the very fact that there are times when we have to say what we need to say about what's entering into the church and what we need to say, hey, you know what? This is false doctrine. Or this is aberrant teaching. And, and I hope and pray that we're praying for this body to, to be pure in the, in the word of God, to be pure in the calling that God has given us in his word. But Paul put the Ephesian elders on guard, on guard against the coming incursion of wolves into the church over which the Holy Spirit had made them responsible overseers. But it wasn't just warnings and cautions that mattered in the church. That's not all. I mean, it's a lot. But it is in all. The word is to abound in the life of every believer in song as well. 
Isn't that an interesting thing that we find that Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing, that's a strong word, teaching and admonishing uh, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace, singing with undeserved favor in your hearts to the Lord. It wasn't just warnings and cautions that mattered in the church. The church has to abound in the life of every believer in song as well. And there should be more than spiritual experience in the life of the believer. There needs to be spiritual exuberance as well. I mean, let's face it. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I mean, there should be no lack of enthusiasm and joy in the church of Jesus Christ. I, I'm not saying this because I saw I looked out at, at anybody here today. No, you all pretty, look pretty joyous, happy. I think, yeah. I mean, none of you were baptized in lemon juice. Brought that sour look on your faces. And don't worry, this coming New Year's Eve, we're not going to baptize you in lemon juice either. But we need to be excited about the Lord. You're given an opportunity to sing, sing unto the Lord. But here's, here's a warning that I need to give you. First of all, the redeemed people are always allowed to rejoice. You are allowed to rejoice here. Now, let's not go overboard. There's a lot of aberrant things going on in, in, in some churches today. They've taken worship way out of, out of bounds. Way, way out of bounds. Songs that are not biblically structured, biblically written, or based upon Scripture. Sometimes I think it's just easier to just go back to the Psalms and, and, and take Psalms that we used to sing, just simple songs, and just sing them with praise in our hearts to the Lord. The other problem that we find sometimes is that, you know, we begin to become more like the judges, of the, you know, America's Got Talent or, you know, whatever. And, and we think, you know, well, I've been to that church and, man, they got an orchestra and they got all kinds of choirs and everybody's doing all kinds of things. Really? That's more important than what comes out of the heart? You see, up here, we, we, we want to stay invisible. We want you to praise the Lord. We're just offering the opportunity to do it. So, you know, we, we don't seek applause. In fact, we, we don't seek it at all. If, if it happens, I want you to know it has to go up. We applaud the Lord. Bible says, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Be nice for us to do that. Do what the word of God says. If we make a mistake here and there in our plan, it's okay. God's not judging us in that. But he is judging our hearts. We need to sing unto the Lord with everything that is within us. So let's truly praise and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. With all of our hearts. Consider, if you will, Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. You know, some people say, well, I don't like to sing. I'm, I'm really a terrible singer, man. I, can, I can't sing myself out of a paper sack. I mean, I just don't sing very good at all. Well, no, but, you, but, but the Lord took you into consideration when he said, make a joyful noise. You want to make a joyful noise? Praise the Lord. Nobody's going to judge you. Why? Because God knows the heart. If you're singing from your heart, make all the noise you want. At least try, though, to sing, you know, in tune or whatever. <laughs> Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Look, he says it twice. Make a joyful noise. 
For the Lord is a great God. There is the reason why we are to sing with all of our heart. For the Lord is a great God. Would you not believe that? Would you not say that this morning? That our God is a great God? And a great king above all gods? In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Come, let us worship. Let us bow down. Lastly, in verse 17 of our text, a verse that says it all, doesn't need a lot of explanation because it is the explanation. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So let the peace of God, which is the peace of Christ, rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be thankful. We're reminded again here, give thanks to God and the Father by him, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly means abundantly, just pouring forth the word of God in your lives, the word of Christ. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and that with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in all of that and whatever you do, in word or deed. See, this is the examination for us now as believers. This is where we examine ourselves. Whatever words are not going to be in the name of the Lord Jesus, we don't want to say those. Whatever deeds there are that, you know, come flying into our minds sometimes and we say, wait a minute, that's not right. That's, that's something I ought not to do. That's the reason why we need to look at this as a mirror to our hearts. Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That pretty much takes care of how we are to live. 